Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I need to hang out with Brother Sheeran a lot more. When he gets done introducing you, 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 you don't even recognize yourself, but it feels good anyway. Amen. I give honor to all the apostles and prophets and evangelists and bishops and pastors and teachers and ministers that are in this place. Punch your neighbor right now and say, we are all ministers. Amen. It is my honor to be here with all of you. Thank you so much. Amen. For being such a strong section. I don't, I don't know. I've done a little traveling in the district and I don't know that there is a, a more unified, focused section than section four. I've never seen turnout like this. Amen. But I give you honor for that. I give you honor for that. Amen. And I, I want to say just before I get started tonight that today also just happens to be uh, your presbyter and the pastor of this church, his 19th anniversary at being here in Kennet. I think we ought to celebrate that just for a minute. I'm looking out over this audience and so many qualified preachers in this place. All of you, all of you can do a better job than what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do my best and I'm going to do what I feel like the God laid on my heart to say tonight. I, um, I don't know why it matters, but I'll say it because I want it to. I, I've never preached what I'm about to preach anywhere else other than what I'm about to preach preach it right here, but I feel like that God has uh, directed me to speak specifically on uh, something that pertains to why we've all gathered here tonight, and so tonight I want you to turn your Bibles to Jonah, the book of Jonah, we're going to look at chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 11, just one verse, Jonah chapter 4. Verse eleven, Amen. Thank you, worship team. What a what an amazing, what an amazing worship team that has led us into the presence of the Lord. Jonah chapter four, verse eleven. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? And also much cattle. I want to preach for just a few moments tonight on this subject. Why God spared Nineveh. Why God spared Nineveh. I want your presbyter to pray over this portion. Let's pray together. Father, tonight your word is anointed. We pray that you would anoint the messenger. I believe, God, that you are going to speak, that we are going to hear and respond and reap a result. If you believe that, say amen and shout praise to the Lord as we're ready to receive his word. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying together. You may be seated. When you study the city of Nineveh, you'll find that it had been founded by a famous man in Genesis by the name of Nimrod. And it was the capital of the great Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was not a good place. It was a, it was a horrible place. It was not a place that you would plan your vacations uh, around or you would not make plans to go there for any special occasions. Nineveh was a place you wanted to avoid. It was vile. It was wicked. It was immoral. It was it was a decadent society. It was a place of whoredoms. It was a place of, of violence. A place that the prophet Nahum called a bloody and a cruel city. They were known for their sacrifice of children to their gods. If they didn't like someone or if you were captured by them, uh, even if you were just a stranger passing by, a sojourner, if if they decided that they didn't like you, it was common for them to, to maim you, like cut off your hands. Uh, 
or cut off your nose or cut off your ears or other extremities. Archaeologists and historians have found records of the kings of Nineveh bragging about their dastardly deeds. Here's one for you. I gouged out the eyes of many. I made one pile of the living and one pile of heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city. I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me and I draped their skins over the piles of corpse. Another one reads, I flayed many who spoke against me and I draped their skin over the walls. I cut off their heads and I built there with a tower before the city. I know this is a little graphic and apologize, but I want you to understand the place that we're talking about. Others says, I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. Pictorial records on gates and walls of the Assyrian Empire shows their troops holding captives and hacking off hands and feet. You see pictures of, of victims that were impaled on stakes minus hands and feet. It is believed that many prophets were slain by the Ninevites. Many of them slain, flayed alive, their skin tacked to the city gates with their bodies impaled, as I said, on stakes and left outside the city gate as basically a warning for all other prophets who might consider coming to their city. We're talking about an evil and a barbarous people. So the first thing that we can be sure of is this. That Nineveh was not spared because the citizens were good. <laughs> On the contrary, I would suggest that they were as evil as you could possibly Find And they were somewhere beneath that lowest rung on the societal ladder. The city wasn't spared either because of Jonah. That becomes obvious if you're familiar at all with the story and you read in the, the context of this scripture. Jonah didn't even want to go there in the first place. And I really can't blame him. I mean, would you want to go there, especially if your moniker was prophet? Um, I, I think, I think uh, prophet's skin covered gates and um, bodies impaled on stakes would be a little deterrent even for myself. You know, no solicitors. This is a non-profit city. <laughs> and uh, they were serious about that. But God says to Jonah, he says, listen, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, right. He heads down and buys a ticket in the opposite direction to Tarshish. I don't know if he thought that somehow he could run away from the will of God. I know there are many people who think they can run away from the will of God. I don't know if he, maybe in his mind, he thought, I'll, I'll, I'll fool God. I'll just walk down to the boat dock and maybe God won't be paying attention when I... When I get on the wrong boat, <laughs> maybe he was going to play it off like it was, you know, some kind of an accident or something. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, Lord, I must have got on the wrong boat. Can you believe that? Going the opposite direction of where you told me to go. Or was he just going, was he just going Somewhere, anywhere. I mean, it's interesting. He, he didn't have to do anything. God says, go to Nineveh. He could have said, I'm just not going. I'm staying here. But, but why get on a boat going the other direction? Unless maybe he thought that, um, maybe God will just be pleased with the fact that I'm doing something. Maybe God will just be pleased with the fact that I'm, that I'm busy. I wonder if he thought God was going to say, okay, Tarshish works. I said Nineveh, but I mean, at least you're willing to go to Tarshish, so knock yourself out. That's fine with me. Maybe, maybe. I'm just surmising this scripture doesn't identify this one way or the other, but 
as I just try to figure out maybe what was going on in Jonah's mind, I, I question, was he trying to bribe God? I won't do that, but I will do this. I won't go there, but I will go over there. <laughs> I won't go to that side of the neighborhood, but I'll go to this side of the neighborhood. I won't go to that side of town, but I'll go to this side of town. I won't do that ministry, but I will do this ministry. <laughs> Being busy doesn't always mean that we're in the will of God. And doing something else is no substitute for doing what God has asked you to do. So make no mistake. It wasn't because Jonah had a burden for Nineveh that God spared it. He's on his way to Tarshish. Now, when you study this, you'll find out Tarshish was a long ways away. He wasn't just, he wasn't just going the wrong direction. He was choosing to go quite some distance. Now, from, from Joppa, that's where he set sail. He was 725 miles from Nineveh. But he decided that he was going to go to Tarshish, which was in Spain. Spain was about 3,000 miles the opposite direction. So he's headed 3,725 miles away from where God had sent him to go. But you know the story. You know the story well. He gets on the boat and somewhere between Tel Aviv and, and uh, uh, Spain, there's a storm that arises. And uh, suddenly that great tempest begin to break up the boat and they're all crying out to their gods for their life and, and, and they wake Jonah. Jonah's sleeping in the middle of all this. I don't know how you sleep in the middle of a storm like that, but they wake him up and they said, listen, you got to call on the name of your God because if you don't, we're all going to perish. And, and uh, he gets up and he kind of knows what's going on and finally it's a it's a disastrous moment they they realize man we're we're not getting any help here maybe god's must be our god's must be mad at us or his god must be mad at him we need to find out whose fault this is and so they cast lots and when they cast lots sure enough it falls upon jonah and so they turn to jonah and they say who are you and what have you done and jonah says well i am a uh, hebrew and i fear the lord the God of heaven, I'm, I'm not listening to him, but I fear him, which hath made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? Because they understood that, the Bible says the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them that he had fled from it. Then said they unto him, what shall we do unto you that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea was wrought and was tempted. Tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake, this storm has come upon you. Now Jonah says, Just throw me overboard and it'll fix your problems. And these guys are very compassionate, much more compassionate than Jonah. I mean, they're going to intercede for him for a little while. They're going to do whatever. No, no, we can't throw you overboard into this storm. We're going to do everything we can to hold the ship together. They're throwing stuff out the side. And finally, it becomes impossible. And they say, well, it's him or us. So I guess he's got to go. And so they grab him and they throw him overboard. Just as soon as they throw him overboard, the Bible says that the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. There was a little revival right there on the ship. They weren't calling on their gods anymore. They were calling on the Lord, which was Jehovah. We're talking about offering a sacrifice unto Jonah's God. But the Bible said for O Jonah, they're having revival on the boat. Jonah is having a little revival of his own. It don't feel like revival, but the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This great fish swallows Jonah. God sends a taxi somewhere between Tel Aviv 
and spained an Uber to pick up Jonah, swallows him up, and you can't guess where he started taking him. He spins that that buggy around and they're headed back towards where... God has a way of getting us where we're supposed to be. I got a, I got a good, some good advice. Just surrender to the will of God. Quit fighting it. Quit wrestling with it. You, you, you want to be in the will of God. God's very creative about getting us where He wants us to go. He sends the fish to Nineveh and then He makes the fish sick. And the sick fish throws Him up on the closest shore. To Nineveh. There's still a little bit of a journey there to get to Nineveh. But, but he throws him up on the closest shore to Nineveh. And then the word of God comes to Jonah again. And says, go to Nineveh. And I'd like to say that Jonah was just all, absolutely, I got a passion for it. Now I'm excited. No, he just understood, ain't no use running. Because even if I run, he's going to come get me and he's going to take me there anyway. There's nothing more sickening than someone out of the will of God. Just ask Shamu. Shamu belches him right up, right there on the land. And out comes, out comes Jonah. He's covered in seaweed. His body is bleached out from all the acid that he's been... I mean, think about what it must have been like to be in the belly of a well, the stench that was coming off of him. I mean, shoot, anybody ever smelt like what's, anybody ever smelt fish guts? <laughs> I've, I've smelled a few. Never forget, your presbyter, we went fishing one time, and we caught quite a few, and we had every intention of cleaning them. And we left him in my dad's garage. And about three days later, remember he was in the belly for three days. About three days later, my father got a hold of me. He said, son, I don't know what you guys left in this garage, but you better get it out of here. It has stunk up the whole house and me and your mother can't even sleep because of what's seeping in through the cracks of this house. I went over there, and it was probably the most disgusting thing that I'd had to deal with in a long time. But you got to understand, Jonah is coming out of this belly of the well, and uh, my goodness, it's it's quite a sight. It's quite every sense is engaged to those who are near him, what they're seeing, what they're smelling, and uh, Jonah is spit out. Now, it wasn't Jonah's delivery. I mean, I'm sure Jonah was a great preacher, but it wasn't, it wasn't his great preaching that turned, that, 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 that caused the people of Nineveh to be spared. I mean, think about this. I'm going to give you a sermon. So you might, all, all, any preachers in the house, you might want to write this down. This has caused one of the greatest revivals supposedly in history. So you might want to write this down. It's not a long sermon. Uh, yet 40 days. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And what he's saying is, is you're all going to die in 40 days. Now you don't hear any mention of repentance. You don't hear grace. You don't hear mercy. You don't hear anything about second chances. This wasn't a turn or burn message. This was just strictly burn. <laughs> Some of you were saying, oh, we don't like those turn or burn messages. Well, this was just burn. There wasn't even any turn in it. The end is near. Yes. You guys are going down. Woo. Hallelujah. Everybody dies in 40 days. And I'm glad about it. I'm glad about it. <laughs> this is the attitude that he comes in. God hates you and he's going to wipe you out. This is the classic you're going to hell sermon and there's no escape route attached to it. How would you respond to an evangelist 
that came through your church and said, you're all going to hell and I'm glad about it. But amazingly enough, the people repent. They believe God. But it wasn't because of Jonah's master delivery that God spared the people. In fact, it's amazing that Jonah wasn't shish for what he was saying and what he was doing. He was probably thinking in his head. I kind of just imagine he was thinking, y'all going to kill me, but my only solace in this whole thing is God's going to kill you back. So do whatever you want to do to me. But just know this, it's going to be bad for you. 40 more, just 40 days. He's counting them down. He's marking them off. You know, like our kids do for Christmas. He's marking off the days. 30, 30 more days. 20 more days. 10 more days. He's getting excited. I can't believe I'm still alive. 10 more days. But yet there's something happening in, in the heart of the people. Now, I think maybe one of the reasons why they were responding is that visual that they were getting that I talked about earlier. you got to remember that Nineveh, they served many gods, but, but several of them, one of them was Ninua, the goddess of the waters, and Onis, a god with the body of a fish attached to the head of a human, and Dagon, the chiefest god, he was the god of the sea who was half man and half fish. So maybe... Maybe they got the report. Somebody was down by the shore and said, Do you know how this guy got here? Out of the sea came this huge fish. He walked out of his mouth. And so we better listen to what he's saying because I think maybe this might be a messenger from our gods. So of course they're paying attention. Of course they're listening. Can you imagine all of those eyewitness accounts and And again, he's possibly ghastly bleached in appearance. Seaweed maybe is still uh, on his ear or somewhere caught on his arm somewhere. No, they're not going to skin him. They're not going to shish kebab him. They thought, man, this this is somebody that's been sent by God. And so the people begin to listen to the warning and they begin to call upon his God and they begin to repent. And they do it for 40 days. From the minute that he started preaching, the Bible says that there was a fast that was called. And the king called, it was, it was citywide. Everybody was called on this fast. Your pastors are nice to you. I know they get up and say, we're going in a prayer and fasting revival. And, and so we're, we want everyone to pray and fast. And, and, uh, how many will, how many will do it? In fact, we don't even expect everybody to do it. We just, we just hope, can I get somebody for Monday? Can I get somebody for Tuesday? Can I get, for all you that think you can't go without food for a day, well, maybe can you just give up your favorite thing? And we figure out ways to, to make it accessible to everybody. And, 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 and I'm not against Daniel fasting. I'm not against fasting your favorite thing. I think any way that you can, you know, try to crucify your flesh, that's a good thing to get involved in. But I want you to understand this king, this king is radical. He says nobody gets anything to eat or drink for 40 days. Not only that, we're putting all your pets on a fast too. All your pets, all your livestock, all your animals. Now that's, that's pretty, pretty serious right there. And the Bible says, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So God spares them. Again, it wasn't because of Jonah's preaching. And it wasn't because Jonah was interceding for the people. You remember in the story of Moses when God turns to him on the mountain and says, Hey, you know, the people down below, they've corrupted themselves. And so step back, Moses. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, Oh, no, Lord. No, don't do that. In fact, if you wipe them out, you wipe me out too. Now that's some serious intercession right there. I don't know that I've ever prayed that prayer myself. Paul said, I could wish myself accursed that my brethren would be saved. 
I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest. I don't know that I've ever got to that level of intercession to where I would say I, I, I wish myself lost so that others would be saved. But this is what Moses is saying. If you're going to write them out of the story, then write me out of the story as well. And God seemingly spared the Israelites because of Moses' intercession on their behalf. But make no mistake, you're not seeing that same kind of passion and, or maybe I should say compassion from Jonah. Jonah said, kill them, crisp them, bake them, french fry them, whichever way you like them best, just, just get rid of them, wipe them out. And when God chose to spare them, Jonah doesn't rejoice. On the contrary, he gets angry. He gets mad. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And this was what his prayer sounded like. Oh Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country Therefore, this is the reason why I fled before the under Tarshish. This is why I was going 3,000 miles in the other direction. Because I knew that you were a gracious God. And you were merciful. And you were slow to anger. And you were of great kindness. And repentest thee of the evil. He had the audacity to tell God, the reason I went to Tarshish wasn't the fact that prophets' heads are stuck on tops of stakes and their skins are tacked to city gates. I went to Tarshish because I knew that if they repented, you'd spare them. One preacher preached, if Jonah can have revival, anybody can have revival. He's so mad he went as far to ask God to kill him. This is Moses' intercession in reverse. Moses said, if you wipe them out, wipe me out. No, not Jonah. Jonah said, if you don't wipe them out, then wipe me out. It's everything backwards. So upset. And God tells Jonah. He tells him why he spared Nineveh. It was in the verse that I read to you. Verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? It doesn't take much digging to find out that Nineveh had an estimated population of 600,000 plus. And God says, I spared them because six score thousand of them don't know their right hand from their left hand. That's 120,000 people. So out of 600,000 population, there's 120,000 of them. God's got it down to a... Very precise and specific number. There's 120,000 of them that don't know their right hand from their left hand. Now what kind of people does that represent? Or who does that identify? Or who is that speaking about? Well, in my little elementary mind, the only thing that I can come to, and I believe that it is accurate, is he's talking about children. God said, I spared Nineveh because of the kids and because of the cows. <laughs> we'll get to the cows in a minute, but we need to stop and talk about the kids. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? He did it for the kids. The ones who are neither good nor evil. I did it for the little ones whose ideas and behaviors haven't been completely shaped yet. I did it for the kids whose characters are still being formed and fashioned. I, I did it because of the children that are there. This opens up a window, I believe, into how heaven thinks. 
And it shows us who is priority to God. We know it to be true, but we were reminded of it all over again. When I read this, that Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He reminds us that children are the most priceless commodity that we have. Why did you spare Nineveh, God? It wasn't necessarily for the adults. In fact, had that been the only factor, I believe that Nineveh would have been destroyed. But it was because of the kids. Children are so important to God. And sometimes we can forget just how precious they are to him we can get so caught up in our own services you know our adult class bible study that's already been mentioned tonight and our our adult worship services and our spiritual routines that we often and inadvertently maybe not intentionally but we push our kids to the curb It becomes all about just keeping the kids quiet or sitting still or behaving. It's about not getting in our way or disrupting what we're doing or distract us from getting what we want and what we need. They become sometimes a burden to us and just another distraction. But what we fail to realize is that they're God's main attraction. I'm reminded in Mark chapter 10 that the children were disrupting the program. In fact, they're in the middle of an adult Bible study on the subject of divorce. And while Jesus is teaching, the children start approaching Him. They break into the class. They start running up to the Lord. And the disciples, they immediately push them back. And they begin to scold them. And the Bible says they rebuke them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me. And forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms. He put his hands upon them. And he blessed the children. Don't ever let us become guilty of keeping kids from enjoying Jesus. Can I suggest to you that this thing is more about them than it is about us? And don't think for a moment that our praise is more special than theirs. Or our attendance is more special than theirs. On the contrary. Listen to what Jesus said about perfect praise. He said out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. Thou hast perfected praise. Our praise doesn't even compete with theirs. Theirs is pure and innocent. It has all. It has no ulterior motives attached to it. It is a perfect praise. It's not an attempt to bribe God. No, it's just enjoying the presence of the Lord. When the children come around the front and begin to rejoice, that's not a distraction. It's not disrespectful. In the middle of a worship service when kids suddenly begin to imitate what's going on around them. Some of them might not even understand every function of praise that they're getting involved in. But make no mistake, it's not disrespectful. Don't you sit them down. Let them play before the Lord. It's what He desires.
Listen, I tell our people at our church all the time, I, I, I don't want, I don't want there to be property destroyed and I don't want elders to get knocked down by kids running around the church and that kind of thing. And so we're going to have a little bit of a balance there. But at the same time, we're not going to sit them down and make them feel like they've just come to the penitentiary and they have to just sit there in shackles and chains while we do our thing. On the contrary, I don't want them thinking that the house of God is a place to be avoided, a place that they can't enjoy, a place that they can't be involved in. On the contrary, I want you to be happy in the house of God. I want you to find joy in the house of God. Go ahead, play before the Lord. If we're not careful, we're going to wonder why our teenagers don't want to be here. Maybe it was because of the way we treated them as children. Don't stop them. Don't stop them. It's delightful to the Lord. I just, I just, just gets on my nerves. I don't understand why. Suffer! I know he meant it different than what I'm saying it, but that's how I like to say it. For all you that have trouble with kids, suffer. Let the little children come. Well, I just don't like it. Well, I, just suffer. He likes it. He wants them here. <laughs> of course we want them here. Don't stop him. For such is the kingdom of heaven. It's in moments like that that God takes them in his arms. You know how many people, you know how many people got the whole, you know how many children got the Holy Ghost play in church? I've heard story after story where they got in their little basements or they got in their garages and they said, come on, let's play church. You can be the preacher and I'll be the song leader and you can do this and you can testify. And they started playing church and it kind of was funny at first, but suddenly something moved into the garage or something moved into the basement. I just don't know if those children are really being serious or not. Who cares? God will even come into a moment where they're just imitating and having fun. And He'll turn it into a moment where they receive His Spirit. He'll put His hands on them and He'll bless them. I know of people who's been called the ministry in their garage service that started as just a little game that they were playing. Hallelujah. Man, I feel the presence of the Lord and here's, here's why I believe I feel it is because He's endorsing what I'm saying right now. I believe this is the heartbeat of God. I notice some of you young mothers, I want to speak to you for just a moment. You young mothers with small children, I know it. I've heard the arguments. I heard it come from my wife. I don't even know why I come to church. I got zero. Didn't hear a thing. Just feel like I'm wrestling this kid all service long. Let me just explain something to you, mama. Right now, that's your most important ministry. Your walk with God cannot be just dependent upon a hit every Sunday. It's going to have to be something that you walk with the Lord daily. But just know this. You are bringing your children into the presence of the Lord. And there are things happening that you don't even realize are happening. You are exposing them to the Spirit of God. And you might go home exhausted. And you might go home weary. And you might go home tired. And you might think, man, I didn't even hear what a, a word of that sermon. Or I didn't even get to sing on the song. No, you don't understand. Your children are absorbing. the. Pre- they're feeling something. They're, they're experiencing something. There is a communication that is happening between them and their creator, whether you realize it or not. And so you just need to understand. You just need to understand that 
This is your ministry, and this is the most important thing you could do. Honey, we getting everybody together. We going to church tonight. Uh, I might not come away understanding anything that was said, but I know that my child is going to get something. God's going to touch them. God's going to bless them. Uh, even when I don't see what's happening, even when I don't understand, there are things that are getting into the wet cement. There is an awareness, there is a sensitivity that is starting to take place. I am connecting them. Amen. To a spiritual world. Hallelujah. Thank you, sissy. I appreciate that. You said you love children or I love children? Hey, this is what I'm talking about right now. What a beautiful illustration that God just gave us. And you know what? For some, we would say... What in the world? Who do you belong to, honey? Who's your parents? Can you point out your parents? Who are you with? Them right there? You, you mean those, those, those parents allowed you to come up here? You mean they just let you walk up here? I'm so glad that they did. Because this is what it's all about. I said this is what it's all about. See, for some, that would have been a distraction. I think God did that in purpose. I think God just used the child to remind us just how much He wants them to come. Let them come. Let them be involved. Let them say what they want to say. Let them get involved in the worship. Let them bring the pastor a note while he's preaching. Hmm. It's already been done so wonderfully in this service, but I want to say it again and I want to add my, add my applause and my approval to every Sunday and Wednesday school teacher, every kids church organizer, every VPS coordinator. Thank you. You have been entrusted with our most precious commodities. And I'm begging you, please don't take your ministry lightly. I know sometimes you're thinking, I got stuck with the kids. I got stuck in the basement. I got stuck up the stairs. I got stuck in the back room. No, you didn't get stuck with anything. You got the most important ministry that this church even invests in. Don't approach it casually. Don't just show up and try to wing it. No, you, you study just like pastor studies. You go ahead and prepare just like, go ahead and practice your little songs. Even if the song you're gonna sing is Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I don't know how many, I don't know how many prodigals have come home and they told me, they told me, you know what? And when I felt the lowest, when I felt so unloved, when I was so ashamed, when I was carrying around labels that society had put on me, the only thing that got me through was that little song I learned in Sunday school. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Hallelujah. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. I think somebody needs to hear that right now. I think somebody, could you help me sing, girls? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I think there's somebody here, maybe there's a big kid. Maybe there's a kid with just a little age on him right now. But you needed to hear that all over again. Because you're questioning... You're questioning whether or not you're worth let, let me, It's still the same. It's still true. That that was put in you from a very early age. There's a book out there that says everything I ever learned. I needed to know I learned in Sunday school. I agree with that. 
please don't ever take your ministry lightly. Please don't just pretend that it's daycare. Just a second, baby, we'll get there. Don't, don't ever pretend that it's just daycare or taking care of kids. Hey, let me tell you something. This is so important. We're not, we're not just trying to keep cats herded. That's not what it's all about. We're not just trying to put cookies in their mouth so that they'll be quiet. No, no, that's not what we're doing. We're trying to put little snippets of the Word of God in their heart. We're trying to put little principles. We're trying to pray blessings over them. Hallelujah. If they don't hear a word of your lesson, put your hands on them. Anoint them. Pray over them. Prophesy over them. That's what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going to read it here in just a minute. Is that okay if I read it here in just a minute? Okay, good deal. Go stand over here with Pastor Sharon. You're going to stand on the platform right now. We're just going to continue on. And then we're about to have a a, a prayer meeting that's going to be focused just on you guys. Talking to all those that are involved in bus ministry. Don't get frustrated. I believe you found the heart of God. God doesn't just see drug addicts and alcoholics and immoral parents. He sees a little innocent heart needing attention, needing someone to to bring them love, to let them feel the love and the mercy of God. He's needing someone to go to, to, to pull them out so that they can experience His presence. Thank you for what you're doing. You know what the sign of revival will be? It's the same sign that was given at His first coming. It's going to be the same sign that we get at His second coming. Thou shalt go before him, speaking of John the Baptist, the forerunner of revival. They shall, you shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I'm telling you folks, it's time to turn our hearts towards the little ones and realize that we're responsible for their future and for their eternity. And maybe the only reason why God is still dealing with us is because of His extreme love for our kids. I saw it again. I saw it again just the other day while I was preaching about end time revival. I believe we are about to witness the greatest harvest the church has ever read about, witnessed, or even imagined. God is going to pour out His Come on, does anybody believe what the prophet Joel said? In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And we shout and we dance about that fact. But would you notice the focus with me for just a moment? And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Can I be so bold to suggest that the young men and the old men and the servants and the handmaidens will be recipients and become eyewitnesses of His majesty because of the revival that begins with the children, with our sons, and with our daughters. I'm talking to every pastor, every church leader in this place. If there's ever been a time, now is the time to focus on children's ministry. The children's ministry division is believing for a one million kid revival. But I think, I think that it's going to be bigger than that. It's time to invest in the harvest. It's time to give to save our children. It's time to take children's ministry in our local assembly to the next level. It's I know they don't pay tithes. I know it just costs money. That's all it is. But who knows? You realize, we talked about it this afternoon. Do you realize that David was probably somewhere around 10 years old when God told Samuel, I have found a king. I have found a man after my own heart. You might be ministering to your future. You might be ministering to the revival that's coming to your city. You might, come on somebody. If you're not volunteering, it's time to volunteer. 
volunteer to teach, volunteer to get involved in in kids' church, volunteer to, to drive a van. We ought to start driving vans through every neighborhood looking for unchurched children. It's time to fill the extra spaces in our car with children that live somewhere along the route that we take to get to church. Oh, I know all you that work in the nursery. And let me just say this, mamas, I know sometimes you feel the pressure. And, and, and I get it, there's sometimes that it is necessary that you take them out and that you give them attention. But here's the thing, you, you, you need to try to keep your children in as much as you can. You, you, you need to keep them into this presence of the Lord. Don't let that just become a social club where you go back and have conversations with other mothers that are frustrated just like you and just turn the kids to play with toys. No, 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 on the contrary, get them settled down and then bring them back out into the presence of the Lord and for all those that are working the nursery so that guests can come and they can hear and they can be moved on while you're back there don't just change diapers uh, but but I want you to pray over them I want you to pray God let them feel your love right now let something be tucked down in their heart uh, as I hold them let them feel your arms holding them I believe in all that stuff While you're rocking them, you ought to be praying blessings over them. It's time to love on kids that have never felt God's love before. It's time to rescue future generations from the curse that they've been born in. Come on, come on, somebody. I don't know why I'm feeling this, but I'm just going to say it. Do you realize that in your counties that there are, there are more children in foster care than attend your church? You want to double your church? Just go find some children to foster and start loving on. We're, we're all worried about what we're going to say. Brother Carlton, we're worried about what we're going to say. You know, I don't know how to argue with adults. I don't know how to do... I'm just not smart enough. I just don't know all about... How hard is it to minister to children? And furthermore, if you train up a child in the way they should go, what would happen? What would happen, Brother Gorley, if we got serious about, you know what? We're going to open our homes up and we're going to start taking in children that don't have homes. Children that come from troubled backgrounds. and I don't, I don't know why I'm saying it, but somebody needs to hear it. We, we, we need to start thinking about adoptions. We went, to, we went to Israel. And when we got there, one of the things that was told to us on that trip was that, that the nation of Israel has no, they have no uh, um, foster care. For, for lack of a, I, they had another word, but it's it's basically foster care, and 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 we were like, well, what in the world? How is that even possible? And they said, because it's in our culture. First of all, if someone is in a distressing situation, or if someone is abandoned, or if someone loses their parents and are orphaned, then just naturally other family members take them in. It's a part of our culture. But they said, if there are no family members that are qualified or able to take them in, then their next door neighbors take them in. And I said, really? They, they, how do you get them to do that? They said, we don't have to get them to do that. It's in our culture. What would happen if it became our church culture? That we just adopted every orphan. That we just put our arms around every troubled, every troubled child. If you reached out, if you reached out to 300 kids that were in foster care and you brought them into your families and you let them realize that there is a different way than what they've had modeled to them and you let them feel the love of God that they've never felt before and you begin to put things within, listen, it might not, it might be that at some point they'll go back to their families and, and, and we hope to reach their families even while we're ministering to them. But even if they go back and their families don't live it. They're taking back stuff that will never get out of the concrete. 
It will have been pressed in their minds. They will know that there is a different way. That there's something to compare this to. That the normal that I thought, there's another normal out there that I can tap into and be a part of. I might have to go back. Who knows, when they turn 18, even if we don't see them for a while, you might see them come running back and say, oh, I've been missing you guys so much. I want to be, I want to reconnect with what I remember feeling when I was just a kid. What would happen? What would happen if we wrapped our arms around them and at an age of five and six and seven and eight, they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they were able to take that gift back with them into any situation that they were going to be exposed to. Anybody here want a church of 300? They're there. We just need some people to open their hearts of compassion. I'll never forget Kenan. Kenan came to our church and Kenan was, well, he was just wild. Kenan, you didn't know what Kenan was going to do. And uh, some of the adults were a little frustrated about that because Kenan would just, you know, he might just holler out. He might just get up and run down the aisle or something and, 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 and somebody would have to go chase him. Where's Kenan going? And, and, and we'd have to get him back in the seat and, I had some parents come to me and said, we got to do something about Kenan. He's just way too disruptive. And that was then I had to open up a little knowledge to them that I had received that nobody else knew. Let me take you to Kenan's situation. When Kenan was three years old, they had to rescue him out of the house because he had been hung upside down, hanging from a hanger in the closet. Been there for... For 24 hours hanging upside down. And so they had to come in and they had to take him. And then we got to love on Kenan. And I said, you don't, you, you don't think maybe that you would have a little behavioral issues if, if you had endured what he endured. If he, if you had been exposed to what he had been exposed to. Let me tell you something. For, for, we can all get this way. It happens to all of us. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to give us a little update. We can all get sanctimonious and we can all start thinking things because we don't have information. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You can read it. Stephen Covey tells a story about being on a subway and there's a father sitting over there and his, his two children are swinging on the rails and they're, they're just running up and down through the car while they're driving and, and it's really annoying all the business people. And finally, Stephen Covey decided that he was going to set the man straight. So he walked over and he said, Sir, can you do something with your children? And the man said, I'm so sorry. They just lost their mother and they don't, they don't know it yet. And I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what to say. I don't, I, I'm just sitting here trying to figure out. He said immediately the whole atmosphere changed and I found myself going from disgust to total empathy as I began to put my arm around the man and I began to try to minister to him and try to, try to comfort him. Let me tell you something. There's things you don't know. And you need to be aware that there's things you don't know. It's not just with our children. There's people coming into our churches every week. And you have no idea what they had to walk through to get to where you are. You don't know what they, you don't know the abuse that they've had to deal with. You don't know the scars that are in their emotions. You don't know the hurt they're, that they're trudging through. So let your first thought be love and let it be compassion. I said, leave Kenan alone. I'll, I'll deal with Kenan. You just leave him alone. Well, I, 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 they're telling me all this. I, I, I said, until I told them the story. And then they're like, you know what? The very people that were upset at Kenan, I saw them the next week. And they're going up to him and they're wrapping their arms around him. And they're loving on him. And, and when Kenan comes to the front, and he's got ADHD. So he comes to the front and he worships for about two seconds. And then he's ready to go. But that two seconds while he's got his hands up, I watched them. They're running to him. They're putting their hands on him. Oh, Lord, bless him. Lord, touch him. Let him feel something right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Suffer. Suffer. Let him come. Let him come. 
Let them worship. Let them sing. Let them play before the Lord. Make them your focus. Don't restrict them. God said, Jonah, let me tell you why I spared Nineveh. I spared Nineveh because of the 120,000 kids that resided there. And because of the cows. That was a hard one. God, what, what, what is it about the cows? You want to save cows? Preach the gospel to every creature. Are you including cows now? Should we start ministering to our pets? And then I realized that in that day, that is what they used for sacrifice. And that was how they, they did repentance. And God said, as long as repentance is available, I'll keep dealing with the parents for the sake of the children. I'm going to say it again. Could it be that the only reason God continues to be merciful to us is because of the kids? So tonight, as they come to the music... I've shared my heart. I've shared my peace. But here's what I want. As we stand all over this place, I'm going to give an altar call, but the altar call is for kids. It's for the children that are in this place. If you're a child that is, what, what's the age of, of, of what, what were you doing? 12 and under. If you're 12 and under, I want to invite you to come. Mom, Dad, if they're afraid to come by themselves, then I'm asking you to come with them. In fact, if they just want you to come, I'm inviting you to come with them. But I, I want our kids to come. I believe it's the will of God tonight that every child that does not have the Holy Ghost receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. I believe that it is God's will tonight for every child, amen, to be blessed. That God wants to lay his hand upon every single one of them. I believe that it's God's will for anointing to begin to flow. I think children can be called right here, right now. If a king could be, if a king could be discovered at the age of 10, if God could say, see that? That's who I plan to be my king. Who knows that God's not saying, see that child? That's my next apostle. That's, that's the one that I'm going to use. Amen. Do amazing things with. Love that all these kids have come up. Come on, that's it. That's it. Move in, kids. And I know we're used to coming. And we're used to getting our own blessing. Come on, I'm talking to adults right now. I know we're used to coming and getting our own encouragement. I know, be quiet, be quiet. Let me get, let me get what I need. Let me get my, uh, let me get my word. How about if you start prophesying over these children? How about if you start praying over these kids? Come on. Adults, you have a part to play in this. That part starts right now. See all these children that have come forward? Now it's time for the adults to come and press in and begin to pray over our children. Here's what's going to happen. Even if, listen, listen, even if you're an adult who doesn't feel like that you are able or qualified or, or maybe you're just a guest of someone and you're saying, well, I, that means all those people that have been around a long time, they'll come up and pray. No, I'm inviting you to come pray over the children because here's the truth. While you begin to bless the children, God is is going to bless you both and God is going to touch you both in fact I have a feeling if you'll put what's on God's heart first that God he will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all the other things will be added unto you I believe this is a principle that even applies to this sermon and this service tonight young people children lift your hands right now Lift your hands and begin to worship the Lord right now. Just begin to talk to God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. 
Listen, adults, there's going to be kids that maybe are not familiar with what they need to do or what the next step is. You can coach them. There's going to be some that's just going to seem oblivious. That's all right. That's all right. Just bless them. Just put your hands on them and bless them. Prophesy over them. Speak words of life over them. It might be that there's a child that you just feel led to wrap your arms around and remind them that Jesus loves them and so do we. Hallelujah. 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 That's it. That's it. Kids, you've got Jesus' attention. He loves you. He wants to hold you. He wants to touch you. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants to put His Spirit in you. Hallelujah. He wants to give you joy that can't even be described. Hallelujah. He wants to give you all of the blessings that heaven affords. God bless these that are coming. Hallelujah. That's it. That's it. Pray over our children. Pray over our children. Come on, that's it. Let's focus for a moment on our sons and our daughters. Hallelujah. Some of them are our own. Others are the sons and daughters that God has brought into our assemblies or our children's ministries. Pray over them. Bless them. Speak life into them right now. Oh, Jesus, bless these kids. Hallelujah. Let them feel your presence right now. I pray, Lord, that your power, that your power would just begin to flow through this room. I pray that every child's heart would be connected right now to your voice and to your presence. Let every sense right now begin to receive data that's coming from you, oh God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.